0: In a world full of straight people. Aren't you glad there's WoW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? race. And so much more. Subscribe to WoW Presents Plus. Still only
1: $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. Start your engines. And join me in the new mobile game, RuPaul's Drag Race Superstar. May the best superstar win. Available now.
0: Math, I just called you math.
2: I'll I might I'll continue to, to call you math. Okay, that'll work. That'll Dave, work. Dave, David. Uh, you're coming to us live from the Ace Hotel in New York. Is that right? I am
0: at the Ace Hotel in New York. By the time this drops, I will have checked out. So, you know, nobody mm. come and charge things to my room. Not Please. live. Uh, but yeah, I am out here. Um, yeah, for, for a documentary project, which uh, we cannot reveal yet. Um, But it's very exciting. Uh, I'm at the ACE. It's fantastic. I am not built for humidity anymore. I've had to change clothes three times a day. Uh, But other than that, I'm doing just great. And I am so excited because I have wanted to get our guest on the show for a long, long time now. He is uh, a a fascinating gentleman. He is uh, an archivist, a, a collector of... Strange and wonderful video. He is the mastermind behind Museum of Home Video, which I've talked about on this show many a time. Uh, it's one of my favorite things on planet Earth. Um, and we're going, we're going to,
1: we're going to get to the bottom of Brett Berg today. Brett, welcome. Thanks,
2: guys. How
1: are you? I, I, I didn't know I had a bottom.
2: Well, guess what? You do, and we're going to get to it. That's right. We're going to get to it today. I'm very excited to talk to you, Brett, because I I was telling Dave um, right before we started that, you know, he has been talking about Museum of Home Video on here quite a bit. And often I'll be like, tell me one more time, what is it? And I really want you to slow down and talk to me like a kid. And then he'll explain it. And he's saying words like Twitch. And I'm like, "Okay, I'm, I'm out to see. And it's not even that I'm not interested. I'm just like, I guess this isn't for me in terms of just simply understanding a definition. But now that I've seen some of it, I understand that's actually the right way, the he- right headspace to be in because you're not going to understand it. And that's great. You're going to feel it.
1: You're you know? going to feel it. You're going to feel it.
0: Yeah. Explain to our guests. What is Museum of Home Video?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, the, the real problem with it is that it is difficult to explain. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the log line that I like to use is college radio for the eyes. And it's, uh, it's a found footage variety show where, like an MTV VJ or a college radio DJ, every 20 or 30 minutes I come on mic, I explain, okay, you're going to see this thing. And it's uh, either uh, some old commercials or music videos or a cut down of a movie from two hours to 15 minutes or old talk show appearances, old game show nuggets, basically like college radio meets channel surfing. Mm-hmm yeah and uh i started it in july of 2020 when all of us were figuring out how to not do a live show but do a live show Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh i I do it every tuesday at uh, museumofhomevideo.com and uh, it's become a a real fun uh, found media ritual for people who are tuned into the wavelength of it Mm -hmm. I want to get deeper into some
0: of the stuff that you have found through the years, but as, as we often do on this show, I want to, want to ask you what it is that you are watching now.
1: Like what current stuff are you watching? Oh boy. Well, there's uh, all the uh, Asian night market videos that I fall asleep to every night. Those are uh, obsessions of mine. Uh, I love watching people make food. It's fascinating. Uh, I was just sent Uh, This film that I need to cut up right away called uh, The Life and Loves of a Male Stripper Mm -hmm. from 1987. Great. Can't wait. (laughs) Who's in it? Uh, uh, Actually, I don't know. It seems to be all no-name folks. Mm -hmm. It's uh, shot on video. Looks uh, right up my alley. Uh, I I found this uh, YouTube account called WikiHow, which is really fascinating. It seems AI-generated or... You know, folks on Fiverr might be generating these videos, uh, and <clears throat> they range from how to cook an omelette to how not to lie to your boyfriend. Mm. <laughs> and these are all like uh, c- like basic computer animated things. <laughs> Very excited about that. Um, I'm going to do an edit of uh, Jack A. Harry interviews because oh, I've uh, been obsessed with her since I was a child. Uh, I have a bunch of clips from Thick of the Night. Oh, boy. That are in my hopper. So, Thick of the Night was uh, uh, Alan Thick's disastrous uh, one season talk show oh on network God. television, mm-hmm. late night talk show, and the clips that I found actually aren't, it's not that bad of a show, it does suck, but it's like more interesting than you'd think, mm-hmm. <laughs> than the legend suggests. Um, I found a bunch of episodes of Hollywood Squares from 2003, where Charo is like one of the main guests. And I'm Perfect. just looking at like Hepcharo Charo and Hollywood scores. So you can see where I'm going yes. with this. Yeah. I, I, uh, I go down a variety of internet wormholes to sure. uh, find things that if I was channel surfing, I would stop on. I gotcha. So yeah. you're not just going to like sit
0: down and watch like Succession or whatever. It's always, you're always looking for museum film video stuff.
1: Totally. Absolutely. And then there's things that are a little political that I like to do mini documentaries on, like I have one uh, upcoming about sports betting, which is actually one of the greatest scourges on 21st century America. And we're not talking about it yet. Mm -hmm. The fact that uh, now in uh, the majority of states in the U.S., you can just do sports betting from your phone Mm -hmm. anywhere. It's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And people are just straight up going broke that way. Yep. Mm hmm. That's great. So I, I like to mix in some lefty commentary and mm-hmm. like pointed political jabs in, in, in between the Hollywood Squares and the music videos. Mm-hmm. That uh, 2000 era Hollywood Squares is totally fascinating. Uh, it's the, it's yeah. the Tom Bergeron years, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I, as a separate uh, piece, there is an entire episode from 2003 that is an April Fool's joke on Tom Bergeron where they actually aired this whole prank that they pulled on him where the two contestants are both actors and Tom Bergeron doesn't know that they've been hired to be actors for the show yeah, and they start going at it. They have like psychological warfare against each other. Oh, and wow. He's just, you know, holding his head in his hands. Yeah. Cut to uh, Henry Winkler, the executive producer going surprise at the end of it. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Let's, let's talk about Charo. Are you following Charo on Instagram? Oh, oh no. Oh no, no. Why is she like as active as ever? Oh my God. She's more active than ever. Um, She is, you know, everything
0: is, is for the fans and it's, it's all videos, but it's, it's like, she has messages and she's very passionate about them, but they are really basic. So she'll like, she'll be in her kitchen at her kitchen Island and then she she just like like eats some melon like she'll tell you about melon she'll tell you about you know uh, it's good to go in the pool when it's hot outside it's it, that kind of thing it's completely fascinating
1: she's a well, it sounds like I need to figure out I have to figure out how to rip uh, Instagram videos exactly because I've never done that before exactly yeah. are you
0: on Instagram are you are you active on Instagram.
1: I'm not. Okay. Uh, I have totally shied away from that. I, uh, I'm not a, like a contrarian about mm-hmm. it. I just don't have the time. Gotcha. Really, to, yeah. to, to, to I actually recently deleted uh, Twitter and Reddit from my phone because the endless scroll is yeah. just making me like. Yeah. nuts. So um, smart. I
0: did the exact same thing. I logged out on, um, on my phone. Uh, I have it blocked on my laptop. Uh, and I don't know what my password is. And I, in fact, don't even really know what email account I use to set up my Twitter account. So that like I will never be able to look at it again on my phone. And I've never been happier.
2: Michael, my husband has given me his password a couple times to Instagram and then I have lost it. And so he's been blocked, locked out uh, a couple times. But again, it's, uh, it's self-care. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I am curious because you. I don't know, when I think about what you're doing, it's it's almost like what a lot of content creators think they're doing, but they're just sort of pulling stuff from YouTube. Like, and Museum of Home Video ain't YouTube. You know, it is something entirely <laughs> different. I mean, these are often things that you, you just can't find anywhere else. But what is your relationship to, I guess, run-of-the-mill internet culture, pedestrian internet culture?
1: You mean, do I pay attention to it or yeah. what do I think of it? I, I usually rely on what people tell me is interesting about it. Like our producer, Jenny, uh, she is forwarding me things from Twitter and Instagram that she thinks is particularly funny and like of our mindset. But it's not all that much stuff. Uh, I, I said that I had Twitter on my phone and I removed it. I, lo- I read Twitter, but I don't post on Twitter. I, mainly for political commentary. I was reading Twitter. Um, but outside of that, I'm not really tracking meme culture. I think that memes are the graffiti in the bathroom stalls in hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't pay attention to it. Um, I find it funny when I'm in uh, group chats with people and they use memes. I'm like, oh, memes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't really pay attention to like what's going on with Dua Lipa or anything. Mm-hmm. Are
0: you... Um... There is a show. It's a terrible right-wing internet show called The Left Can't Meme. It's uh, it's this guy Benny Johnson, who you may be familiar with, who is oh, a sewer rat who, you know, has uh, an internet presence. And it's him and it's it's like him looking at memes and laughing. And I guess people love it, but it's the weirdest most joyless thing I've ever seen in my life. And and it revolves around the idea that like the the right is better at making memes, which I don't understand why that's a thing that one would uh, boast about.
1: Well, I think memes sometimes are meant to taunt, and sure. okay. the right is fantastic at taunting. Right, right. Uh, but that's all they got. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the left can't taunt should be
1: the name of the Not show. Not quite as well. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that's uh, I'm disgusted. Uh, by that. Even having brought his name up on this show, I don't feel good. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I'm disgusted every day. It's a a weird neutral state to be in. It's just moderately disgusted. Mm -hmm. Just this morning on Twitter, I was watching clips of RFK Jr. in some congressional hearing and you know i had to suppress suppress the the gagging Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was going on while i was Mm -hmm. watching it it's just uh uh, yeah mainstream media is an endless sewer we knew this we've even participated in it ourselves Mm -hmm. sometimes but uh it's just a real shame that uh news journalism well journalism entirely is going out the window in favor of scrolling you
0: know yeah uh Museum of Home Video really reminds me of, like, the golden age of, like, videotape trading. Um, You know, like, working in television in the 90s, like, most of the people I worked with had, like, a secret stash of weird shit on videotape, right? Um, And, like, and there was no internet to, like, upload these things to. It was difficult to, like, find these things, right? Um... Uh, the William Shatner Rocket Man uh, the Star Wars holiday special like th- things that were like legendary but you couldn't really find um, and it's like I, that spirit is so alive in Museum of Home Video it's like it's um, there's such a good like curatorial
1: eye hmm I grew up uh, it's sort of at the tail end of that culture. Mm-hmm. So um, my the beginnings of my, quote, career started as a video store clerk. Mm-hmm. And I used to manage a place called Cinephile Video over uh-huh. in West L.A., which is magically still there. I don't know if you've been there. Yeah. Yeah, not a major, Street, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's still there in 2023. Uh, you can go visit it and, and, and patronize them. So when the store started in 99, 2000, I was still at the end of the the tape trading era, mm-hmm. and as a video store that specialized in rare stuff and bootlegs and things like that, we just uh, reveled in that tape trading culture and, and 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 purchasing tapes from like online retailers who specialized in that tape trading culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one that was particularly resonant for us. Uh, this guy Laz Rojas, and he oh was. This is very proto-internet, but he was an aspiring screenwriter so he and actor, so he did a demo reel of his stuff where he played every character. And there's even one where he plays two lesbian characters who have a kiss through this like trick... It's supposed to be trick photography. It's very clearly him in front of a mirror mm-hmm. <laughs> kissing himself. And uh, we, we would try to spread these uh, tapes that we had traded for far and wide. And so, yeah, basically... Museum of Home Video is that in uh, modern form. Right.
0: Uh, New York Nights, which Matt McConkie just uh, treated himself to. um, Yes. Explain. Explain New York Nights. This last episode that just went up on your Patreon is fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's... uh, So, Museum of Home Video, as the show, is not the only show on our channel. So, if you go to museumofhomevideo.com, you can see that we have several different shows, including New York Nights, which is a New York centric found footage show and it's hosted by adam Barron, uh-huh. who is also a film programmer and producer out in new york he does a, a series at anthology film archives called narrow rooms it's about depressing gay movies mm-hmm. <laughs> bummer gay movies mm-hmm. which i'm also a huge fan of and so he decided to do this show that was new york centric And the last episode has like an hour's worth of really great club drag performances from wow. throughout the decades in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and he grew up there and he's, he's just got that eye. Uh, we used to have a show on the channel called LA days hosted by a good friend of mine, uh, KJ Ralph Miller, who is also a film programmer. And, uh, yeah, we, I just like having this fun dichotomy. I guess all the hosts on, on the channel are either they have film programming backgrounds or college radio backgrounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like a prerequisite. Yeah.
0: There's uh, something that I'm totally fascinated by uh, on, in New York Nights is the the commercials for bathhouses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are legitimate commercials for like I, one of them is like you know they're advertising it as a gym, but it's also like not right. And then and I feel like there's another one that's l- just like like for an actual bathhouse. And I don't I don't know where these would have aired. I guess on some early version of public access or.
1: Yeah, you're correct. So there was a show called The Emerald City Uh in the late 70s and early 80s. And it was a, you know, uh, Manhattan has this rich history of public access. um, So much so that at a certain point there were there was more than one public access channel on Manhattan cable Mm -hmm. because there was just such a demand for people to produce their own shows. So there was a show called The Emerald City and they had commercial breaks, sponsors of the show. And it was like gay bookstores, bathhouses, uh, resorts on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Beautiful. There,
0: there needs to be a uh, a a a supercut of the Robin Bird show. I'm just going to put
1: in that request now. Mm. (laughs) We've been working on that actually. Robin Bird was uh, she was was she a stripper or a porn star herself? I'm not sure, but she 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 Her whole show was just like she was a stripper. The whole show was just like a burlesque stripper show, and there was. Female strippers stripple. I'm already high. Female <laughs> strippers and male strippers and she did not discriminate. We have this clip of the one guy who's got like a he shaved his pubes into a rectangle. Oh wow. It's fascinating. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. Uh the Robin Bird show ran for years and years. So basically every night on Channel 35, when I lived in New York, it was it was on. Like more than one episode would be on. It was like ridiculousness, but for uh cable. And uh I the first like uh, like grown-up gay guy i ever hooked up with when i was 18 uh i later saw on the robin, show. Uh, <laughs> stripping on robin show. <laughs> which and that was like that was that's that's an eye-opener
2: is that footage available i'm sure you it
0: is somewhere i'm i'm sure it is somewhere
1: Yeah, so uh, people ask me all the time, where does all this shit come from? Yeah, Sometimes it comes from YouTube. Sometimes it comes from things that I have ripped directly off of a DVD or something. And then there's the torrent world. (laughs) I'm still living in the 2000s tech-wise. And and torrenting is a major part of my own digital collection and of what happens on the show. So um, for when you need the harder stuff beyond YouTube... I and i was about to name one of these torrent communities they hate that when you talk about Uh, them in public so i won't name them but there's one in particular that's just this incredible scrooge mcduck-like vault of nothing but things taped off tv so someone years ago put together this mega torrent of new york public access stuff and it has like 58 dvd rips and robin bird show is scattered in there, these little clips. So uh, finding the stuff is a mixture of uh, Columbo and Goonies. Love
2: mm-hmm. it. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, your, your team of Avengers, um, how the, the founders came together, the origin story?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. Um, so our producer, Jenny Nixon, um, I first met when we both worked together at a venue in L.A. called CineFamily, R.I.P., that is a whole, the Center family saga is a story I don't, it's too long to get into here. But uh, you know, she, she and I met each other there and we're kindred. And so years later, when I wanted to do Museum of Home Video as a live show originally, it, originally it was gonna be every Saturday afternoon uh, at this venue in L- LA that we had picked out. And that was slated to start in uh, June, 2020. Perfect. So, the origins of Museum of Home Video as a live stream was born out of you know pivoting during the pandemic, like so many people did. So, uh, uh, Ivor, the international voice of reason, who hosts Music Videodrome, which is our music video show, uh, twice a month. So good. So he and I met at KXLU, where I did college radio. And KXLU is out of Loyola Marymount University here in LA. Let's see, uh, Adam Barron, who hosts New York Nights, I I met him through the film going scene, you know, like going to repertory shows, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, he visited LA once, and a mutual friend introduced us, and it's like another kindred spirit. Um, Josh Miller, who used to host uh, Friday Night Frights, our horror-themed show, I met him through CineFamily. So, yeah, it's really just the avenues of film programming and (laughs) college radio, which which is kind of what all the shows are. Yeah.
0: Where did you grow up, Redbird?
1: Did you grow up born and raised here in LA, never lived anywhere else. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'll probably die here. <laughs> wow. What part of uh, LA are we talking about?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I'm sorry, what was that?
2: Where in LA? Where in
1: LA? Uh, over on the west side. Okay. I was born at Cedars, Sinai. Wow. Okay. And uh, I, I'm a third generation Angelino, and apparently that's like some super rare thing. I thought it I didn't realize it was, but. As soon as, in L.A., as soon as you mentioned you were born here, people stop and gawk. Yeah. They, 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 their jaws hang open. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it is fascinating. And were your parents in showbiz? showbiz?
1: No, not at all. No, my dad owned a retail store, and uh, my mom worked in hospital administration. So, wow. totally not. Basically, I was babysat by cable TV. As a child of divorce, yeah. you know, as many Gen Xers are. Uh, I just, I, I learned a lot through, uh, watching broadcast TV, cable TV, Uh, LA radio is also another big, uh, building block for my weird brain. Yeah. Well, so
0: what, like, what did you grow up watching?
1: Oh boy. Um, a lot of HBO Uh movies that I was exposed to at an early age that I, you know, my parents didn't know that I was watching. And uh, Comedy Central was super formative in all of my junior high and high school years. It was a really lovely thing to have MST3K, Kids in the Hall, Mm -hmm. SNL reruns, just like, you know, right on the dial. Yeah. Um, I did watch my fair share of sitcoms and other mainstream stuff, but at a certain point, I realized, oh, you know, watching it just to watch it—that's a kid thing to do. I'm not a kid anymore, so I'm choosing what I'm watching. Right. I'd certainly watched a fuck ton of MTV, sure. you know, that was like super informative. Although I checked out of it sort of early nineties. Yeah. So all throughout the eighties it informed me, but the second I got to junior high, I started getting into punk and progressive rock. So it was just like, I wasn't into whatever was on MTV. Sure.
0: You know, I just, as an aside, I just finally met Kevin seal. Do you remember Kevin oh. seal?
1: Kevin seal sporting fool. Kevin oh, yeah. seal Sporting
0: oh, yeah. fool. An early crush, like I, I <laughs> truly like set my type for a lifetime, and could still get it. Mm-hmm. Lovely guy. Was Was he still funny? He's still very funny, charming, super oh, charming. Uh, wh- what was like the first thing that you watched that made you realize like I am not, I, I am not a, uh, I do not consume media the way that the
1: rest of the world does. Uh, Well, it was an early cable TV memory for me. That would be David Lynch's Dune. Oh, wow. Because right when my family got cable, I want to say it was 85, uh, the very first cable guide that we got in the mail had Dune on the cover. And so I was instantly fascinated as a burgeoning sci-fi person. And I got super obsessed with the movie. I didn't know how to program the VCR yet, so I didn't know how to tape stuff. But I definitely every time they show it, showed it i would uh watch it it was the first movie that i realized had a director because the, <laughs> lynch has such this authorial stamp on the film it's uh, unmistakable so even as a kid i picked up on that
2: mm-hmm. as a true angelino what's your favorite representation of true la
1: oh that's got to be huell hauser oh, absolutely oh, yeah yeah Huelhauser is this uh, PBS guy who throughout the 80s and the 90s and 2000s covered the interesting parts of L.A. that you won't normally see. And he's a big southern guy who talks like this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's just got this uh, affable attitude where he can make anybody, any stranger want to talk to him. Yeah. And so there's endless Hewellhauser stuff on YouTube if you want to dive into that. And there's also is... a lot
2: of good uh, James Adomian um, doing Hewellhauser content out there oh that was my way I didn't in. know
1: that oh that's so funny I'll have to look that up oh my
2: god uh,
0: he's yeah he does a very good Hugh Hauser
2: what I what I love about him first of all
0: young Hugh Hauser talk about someone who could get it he was hot oh, is that right <laughs> yes oh, okay early Huel, I mean he was a handsome guy throughout but like young Hugh Hauser is like jacked and hot uh oh, but wow, I'm seeing yeah okay but he is so like everything that he is seeing he is amazed by. Like what is that root beer? Wow. Like he's so excited that it's impossible not to be affected by it.
1: Yeah. yeah. God bless um, him. Another uh, LA staple that I grew up with and just infests my brain was called fight back with David Horowitz. Mm-hmm. And it was a consumer reports show, but it was also a little bit of a, as the name suggests, I will fight for you, your consumer rights, so he would do weird product testing and he would bust scam artists um, about, you know, like, this mat. you're advertising this mattress as being this comfortable and it is not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was a total blowhard, like, weird uh, Reaganite type person and uh, I'm fucking fascinated with him and he's just in my brain, he's like, he, he could be my uncle, I guess that's why I'm fascinated.
2: This is such a basic reaction for me. But, you know, anytime I learn that someone who's, you know, in vaguely Gen X, um, grew up in L.A., I just start to uh, picture Brett Easton Ellis vibes. Um, but what what was your high school experience and who were you in terms of like the social hierarchy of, of high school?
1: Mm. Um, it's funny you mentioned Brett Easton Ellis. I think he went to Crossroads. Which yeah. is this uh, uh, private high school here in LA? So I was also in the private school uh, system, and I went to a place called Winward, which is in Mar Vista. Okay. And it was a fantastic upbringing. I, I my parents sacrificed an awful lot. You know, I hats off to them for putting me in that. Uh, so my graduating class was fifty something kids. I had a very very atypical experience growing up. And It was a nurturing environment. It also allowed me to follow whatever weird passions I had. <laughs> which included just taping movies off cable and just watching them every night. Um, uh, so, but I, I, I had a couple friends, I, actually I wanna give shout outs to the two kids who really I followed and informed everything that I do. It's Dan Laidman and Dave Viola. And I knew them from elementary school. They were in fifth grade in 1990, they were watching Twin Peaks contemporaneously and they were into it. like, mm. And they were also into wrestling. It was very strange what they were into. But I I, I just learned everything from them. I, I still follow their kind of like aesthetic creeds to this day. Dan did zines in high school and he had a Naked Lunch, the Cronenberg film poster on his wall in like seventh grade. Mm. Very highbrow shit. Uh, I remember seeing Eraserhead on Laserdisc at Dan's house at 3 Whoa. in the morning. <laughs> it was the first time. If you ever want to watch Eraserhead for the first time, do it at 3 in the morning. It's the best time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I first saw John Waters with Dan. We watched, we were like 13, and we watched, um, in a row, Multiple Maniacs, Female Trouble, and Desperate Living. I mean. And seeing them all for the first time in a row
2: in this all tracks yeah i absolutely try in terms of the you know the the form the formation
1: yeah yeah i mean uh and and like dave was into hip-hop at like at the same age you know 1990 91 when we were like 10 years old it's like i was just in awe of how they were able to pre-internet discover things absorb them interpret them pass them on That's how, that's how we all used to learn about shit, you know, before, before the internet and phones. That to me sounds like that skill or that interest feels to me like
0: the LA version of like being the captain of the football team, you know, like that, that would be like the, the thing that was prized in a, in a high school student. Is that accurate at all?
1: I guess so. It never felt like we were captains of anything because we were just off on our own. Right, Um, you know, a team of three as opposed to a team of twenty five with with a coach who's barreling down on you or something. Uh, We benefited from being, you know, a very specific generational slice that had the, the 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 indie chain video stores being plentiful all over Los Angeles. And finding out about Sam Raimi and Paul Morrissey and Tarantino at age 12 because they're just right there front and center along with Aladdin (laughs) and uh, Forrest Gump or whatever.
2: And speaking of indie film stores, I know you, I mean, Museum of Home Video was originally conceived to be a live show. I know you did a live show recently at Vidiots, which I was very sad to miss because I live uh, right by it. But is that going to be a bigger part of it moving forward?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're now doing a big push for IRL um, because we you know hadn't done it yet. So we're we're part of the Vidiot's uh, menagerie of like presenters, and Vidiot's is this fantastic place that just opened here in Eagle Rock in Los Angeles. Um, It's uh, how to describe it. It's one of the last uh, repertory cinemas in America that is new. That was. not attached to a previously uh, profitable business Um, I'm explaining it backwards but it's a great place to see like uh, old classics, new stuff that's hot and having uh, guest presenters um, uh, people who made the movies come and and, like talk in front of the movie Uh, and it's all female run and it was done piecing together small donations as opposed to one large institutional funding thing or like I said an existing business that just feeds the cinema like here in LA there's a place called Brain Dead Studios which is another fantastic cinema but they have a hoodie store on the second floor and their their expensive hoodies pay for the cinema. So Vidiotz is like and that's no that's no shame on them yeah. because that's just the way that you can get cinemas to exist these days. But yeah, Vidiotz is allowing us to come in and do a whole a whole show once a month or once every other month or something like that. And uh, we're going to be doing shows in October in Austin and New York and Philly. So we're getting out there. Where are you doing, uh, in New York? Uh, the New York one's going to be at uh, Nighthawk Prospect Park.
2: Nice.
0: Perfect. Um, were you, or, uh, were you out in high school in Los Angeles?
1: Yeah. Um, I came out when I was mm, 15, so that might've been somewhere between ninth and 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little scary because uh i didn't re- it, I pieced it together over a year or two, and then when I came out um, it it didn't get much of a reaction. I guess people thought, well, he's weird anyway, so <laughs> this is just one more feather in the weird cap or whatever um, there There was only one or two other people that were out in my high school at the time. I'm sure it's much different now yeah. would, would, there was there was no uh, on campus resources for it, sure. Of
0: course not. Was Kyle McLaughlin in Dune a, a part of that journey of self-discovery?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, funny enough, uh, the th- the one thing that crystallized that I was queer and I needed to come out was William Burroughs. Um, in, ni- in ninth grade, at the end of the, the school year, my English teacher said, okay, you can do a free form book report, just pick anything. And I had heard of Burroughs because I'd seen the, the Naked Lunch, excuse me, the Naked Lunch movie by Cronenberg. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go and I'll read Naked Lunch and I'll do a book report on that. It was pretty precocious looking back on it. Mm-hmm. And at the Beverly Hills Library, they did, their copy of Naked Lunch was checked out. So I just selected a different Burroughs book, which was the best thing. It's called Port of Saints. It's from the 70s. And it's one of his cut-up novels, and it's so graphically sexual in parts that it really just blew my mind open and went, all right, that's what I'm into, that. <laughs> not what I see on TV, not what people are telling me about.
0: Wow. So what, I mean, what was dating like? Was Was there dating for a, a There wasn't
1: dating until college. Okay. I, I, you know because i didn't i wasn't the type that would go out to a bar yeah (laughs) i just wasn't to me it just wasn't my bag um and my first boyfriend was was i in college or out of college somewhere around there i used to go to ucla to to participate in a weekly like gay student group like group sit down because there was nothing at lmu where i went and uh I met a whole lot of fun people, and my first boyfriend in that, in that circle. And then that lasted for a few years, uh, randomly dated a couple other guys on and off, and then I've been with my boyfriend now for 17 years. Oh, wow. 17 years. 2006.
2: Wow. Now, how did you two meet?
1: Uh, through the underground music scene. I used to be in a band, and he came to one of the shows, and uh, we started talking on Myspace. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> wow love it. What was your, what was, did you have an autoplay song on your, uh, MySpace? No, no, I didn't do that. I, I, cause I'm not a tech person. I couldn't figure out how to, how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You, you had to know a little bit of HTML, right? To customize your. MySpace, I don't oh, I don't, I don't think remember. so. Cause sure I no. think
2: I did it and I, uh, um, yeah. I, and I didn't want to do anything. Right.
0: Yeah. Same. Wow. Well, uh, all right. So like, where is that, how you would meet people in the underground music scene? In Los Angeles, so yeah,
1: I mean, it's a, it was a, it was amazing. Like uh, all throughout the two thousands, um, I was just going to rock shows, sometimes two three times a week, and I was in bands and I was you know hanging out with people from other bands. At that time, there weren't a lot of out queer people in that scene either. <laughs> but Mario, my boyfriend, I was the, I spotted him immediately. It was very intriguing to me. He looked like uh, <laughs> he's going to hate me for saying this. He looked like. Uh, Vince Neil from Motley Crue as a teenage girl. That was kind of like oh, wow. the look. Wow,
2: that's so specific. Okay, yeah. okay, I'm seeing it. I get it. So I
1: just I just I saw him across the room, and I was just immediately like, who is that? Got to know more about that person. And then a mutual friend through the music scene connected us. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been been a lot of 17 years of ups and downs.
2: And are you still on the west side? Or, or did you say you're Eagle Rock? local as well.
1: Oh no, I'm in I'm in Echo Park.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Great. Even cooler.
1: Yeah. He lives in uh, Culver City. We used to live together and then we mutually agreed maybe living in different places is actually better for us.
2: Wow, that's an interesting uh yeah, a t- t- change of of stages. Unconventional.
1: Yeah, it's uh wasn't what I wanted initially and then I realized maybe for our own sanity to keep things exciting and, you know, to renew it every once. In a while. I mean, we see each other all the time. Right. It's not that much of a long distance thing. It's like 12 miles, but.
2: But Echo Park and Culver City are those are different. Uh, yeah, microcosms of Los Angeles. Totally. You are in totally. a long distance relationship.
0: <laughs> Brett, you also are like, and you know, we don't need to get into this. We don't. We can cut this part. But well, no, we won't.
1: Um, you are like a, a later in life uh, weed enthusiast. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I growing up, I always equated uh, weed with cigarettes because my parents smoked. Yeah. My brother and my cousin, all you know, friends at school, elderly relatives, everybody in the world of mine smoked cigarettes. And so, when weed came along into, like, my friend circles, I never got into it because it just seemed as gross to me as, like, nicotine cigarettes. Yeah. And then... Like my hero, Robert Altman, later in life, I go, oh, weed, right, okay, I'm into this now. And so at age 35, I started smoking weed, mainly to deal with work stresses at the time. Right. And then I went from being a once a year trying weed to three times a day <laughs> okay. trying weed.
0: What um, is, uh, like, what changed other than stopping equating it with... Uh... Oh, uh,
1: what changed? Well, again, it was about work stress. Uh, I used to, like I said, I used to be at this place, CineFamily, and it was a very stressful, stressful environment. But Doug Benson, the comedian, used to do regular shows there. And once or twice a month, he would do the movie Interruption, which was basically live MST3K, and it was like some of the most magical live comedy that I've ever seen to this day. And as part of the the backstage party scene before and after, he would constantly have folks like bring him like folks from uh, weed companies come and like give him new products to try. Mm -hmm. And one time uh, somebody from PAX, which is like a line of uh, vaporizers they came and they were just letting people try the packs backstage and someone came right the guy came right up to me and said would you like to try this and normally i would say no because it's weed i don't like weed and the electronic part of it plus the ease of use and it wasn't like a burning uh, joint yeah. it just immediately got me into weed just like and then i w- went and watched the doug benson interruption show and it was amazing and i went oh this is what people are talking about When they say they enjoy weed instead of the paranoia or the crazy, like, uh, you know, time dilation that happens to people sometimes. So I went, I literally just became a stoner immediately.
0: And you're able to function.
1: Yeah, mostly. Okay. (laughs) I have uh, have a day job and then I also do museum of film video. So I find that it focuses me rather than confuses me. It allows me to sit there and do video editing for six, eight hours at a time.
2: It's working, you know, based on what I've seen, it's working.
1: Thanks. Um, I, you know, or, or, oh, sorry. No go, go ahead. Ahead, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm very curious to ha- see how you two would describe museum of home video because it is so difficult to describe. Like when you tell people about it, what do you say exactly?
0: I tell people that it's like, um, golden era, late night television, um, like the, the thrill of discovering something super weird on like a UHF channel late, late, late on a Saturday night. Um, it, it's like it's that it, it feels like that. It, it's, um, it, it doesn't to me feel like, um, somebody sending you something on like Instagram or something that everyone's talking right. about or whatever. It feels like, um, Whatever you see on Museum of Home video, it will be the first time you've ever seen it. You will not see anything that you have ever seen before. Um, and it'll be like weird and fascinating. That's how I, that's how I describe it. Brett has now walked away. He's offended by that uh, classification. Oh, I'm closing the window so <laughs> no. you
1: don't hear the, the garbage truck roll by. Gotcha. <laughs> Didn't hear a thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I feel like, I, I, I feel like I understand Dave Holmes a bit better just a, oh. after having seen it because I am often such a disappointment when it comes to the deeper pop culture cuts to to like the the a, a Dave Holmes and the the Dave Holmes fans, um, but that was a nice little g- a glimpse into what I imagine is sometimes his his brain, and I also was thinking about you know words like ephemera and pastiche that i have thrown around in the past and pretended that i knew what they were but it didn't really but i do think they apply in a good way
1: (laughs) that's my definition yeah yeah Uh, some other catchphrases that we've come up with are found footage you can feel Mm. because sometimes uh, presentations of this kind of material have an ironic distance. And that is funny and that is a comedy style when it comes to like video and performance and stuff. Um, but I just decided to inject a, a documentary sensibility into it. Um, a little bit more of the time travel element is present. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I str- I struggle with how to describe That's probably why it's still a niche thing. Yeah. Just because it's so... Uh, I'm struggling to find the words to talk about it right now. So. But the
2: <laughs> the weed thing is interesting because I, I'm not a good weed person, but in the, the moments that I have had something where I can really ap- ap- appreciate and focus on something in a, in a you know, a, sort of a, at a different level because of weed, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I I could, ha- I, I felt like I was having that experience watching New York nights, even though uh, I was sober. Um, so it has a similar effect. It's like if this isn't this isn't something to have on in the background. It is really engrossing and compelling in such well, a strange you. way.
1: Yeah, I I do engineer my show so that uh, people are panicked to take a pee break. Yeah. there are no pee yeah. breaks on my show.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, getting back to Cinefamily, Family, I um, and this has to have come from you. I would assume that this came from you, but. A life-changing moment for me happened at CineFamily, and it was the screening of Ben and Arthur. Um, <laughs> at, oh, right. uh, there was a oh, yeah. thing, there was a thing called the five minutes game at uh, at Cine family where things that that you and the other you know uh, curators there had found, um, they would show like twelve of that of them, but just the first five minutes, um, because everything as like the 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 credo of the thing was that anything is interesting for five minutes. So it would be the first five minutes of 12 things that truly in, in many years of going to that, and it happened two, three times a year, I literally never saw anything that I had ever seen before. And everything was really fascinating. Anyway, at the end of that... Uh, however long, I guess an hour, um, people would then vote on what they wanted to see all of. And then there would be a barbecue and then everyone would come back into the theater and they'd watch all of whatever. So that Ben and Arthur, the first five minutes of Ben and Arthur was part of that. And we chose something else. And and who, it might have been you on the mic. Whoever was on the mic was like, you chose this, but you're going to hate it. And after about seven minutes, truly, it was like, yeah, no, this is awful. We, we chose wrong. And Ben and Arthur was put on, and that is a movie that is endlessly fascinating in every minute. It, it, the way that it unfolds is truly unlike anything I've ever seen before. Um, and and it, it changed my life. I'm not kidding.
1: Well, that's, that's great to hear. Uh, the five minutes game was one of the best live events that I've ever been a part of. And we're actually going to bring it back probably for my birthday in January we'll figure out. and most likely yeah, at videos so
2: great. yeah Ben Arthur great. was a foundational we'll, we'll for back. homophilia those are the early days that you introduced me to that Dave yeah and I forget yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. T- did we do a deep dive on the actors and filmmakers and get some kind of
0: the well the the one the one yeah, um right. cause, yeah because that's <laughs> that is that's an auteur driven film I think you would agree rightberg
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I forget the guy's name, but I will never forget his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or his voice. Um, what is his name? Oh, fuck. What is his name? Sam Rauvich. It, Rauvich. Yes. Yes. You see it 27 times in the credits. Yeah. As, Okay. So to set the scene here, the first five minutes of this film starts with the opening credits that is a midi version of uh the entertainer that Mm -hmm. scott joplin piano rag Mm -hmm. that that's in what like the sting or something Mm -hmm. and uh there's a bad cgi hellscape fire paper wallpaper looking thing happening Mm -hmm. in the background and then you're immediately plunged into a tale of um a very opposites attract kind of couple yeah. uh, celebrating that gay marriage is legal in Hawaii. So they fly to Hawaii mm-hmm. to get the gay marriage, but it doesn't work out because, uh, because it's not actually legally binding. And then that sets off a chain of events where he, there's like murder and deceit. And yeah. Stuff like that. And, and they fly to Hawaii or back on a FedEx plane. Like
0: there's, there's, there's a <laughs> shot of a plane going and it's, visibly a FedEx play.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a scene that takes place on a sandwich shop, which could very possibly be uh, Sam Raulovich's employment, place of employment. And by the way, it's, uh, that's
0: all in my neighborhood. It's all around Studio City. That's the Togos by the Ralphs on uh, Ventura and Vineland. He comes out of our Vons on, uh, the, on Ventura and uh, Laurel. It is it is all Studio City. I, I, I could
1: basically do a Ben and Arthur tour of Studio City. Maybe I will. Uh, ben and Arthur film. is a movie that um, it hasn't escaped the DVD prison. Like, there's no Blu-ray of Ben and Arthur. And it's very, very typical of 2000s shot on mini-DV, no-budget films. It's actually a real... It's funny you bring this up. I was saying to this, uh, saying this to a friend of mine the other day, that the archivism surrounding 2000s things is going to be very, very difficult. Because... It was all shot on a tape format where no one has the decks anymore you know and no one knows how long those tapes are going to last and uh dvds are now rotting like if you put in a 20 year old dvd it may or may not play depending on how well it was manufactured like a Mm. dvdr specifically the burned one um so (laughs) things like the five minutes game it it may seem like it's mocking the, the content but it is actually elevating and celebrating this this, uh, buried lost medium.
2: Yeah. I, I think the, in, to put it in layman's terms you could think of Ben and Arthur as like a, a sort of a queer nerd response to the room, you know?
1: Oh, yes. Boy. It's oh, of that same
0: era for sure. The room is Lawrence of Arabia compared to Ben and Arthur. Right. Uh, and I believe it's on YouTube. It, it goes, it, it's up and down off, uh, on YouTube. Um, Every now and then it's there, and then I think Sam himself will have it taken down. But it, but it pops up every now and then, and I do believe it is now on YouTube. Everybody treat yourself uh, to Ben and Arthur. You will not. You 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 will feel several times through the movie like, oh okay, I get I get what's happening here. You don't. You don't. It, it will it will it takes you on twists and turns that you I cannot see coming. Um, I yeah. But, as a of fact, I need I, to watch it
1: again. I'm so glad that you went to multiple five minutes games. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel. I, I feel bad about a lot of the CineFamily stuff from that time, because uh, long story short, the place collapsed in a Me Too nightmare, yeah. and we, we thought we were the only place that this was happening at. Turns out turns out like every workplace is like this, is what we learned, and uh, so everything from CineFamily time has an asterisk mm. next to it, in my mind, but things like the five minutes game will live on in other incarnations with other hosts you know, other points of view. And, uh, it really is the Super Bowl for video nerds.
0: Yeah. And such, and such a fun crowd that, that, that specific event would attract. Um, love it. Brett Berg, thank you so much yes, thank you, for Brett. being here.
1: Yeah. I'm, I, I love talking about this weird stuff because it, again, it infests my brain and it like needs to get out. Yes, it does. Uh, and also, uh, Go ahead. Also, also, the show is my video therapy. I make jokes about it, but it is legit my therapy in exercising and exorcising all these things from my head uh, onto the live stream medium. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so
0: the uh, Museum of Home Video itself happens every Tuesday night, 7.30 Pacific time at museumofhomevideo.com, but you really should join the Patreon because... Uh, it's, uh, it's not a lot of money and it gives you access to the entire archive. And there's so much, so much good stuff in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At this point, there's about 600 hours of, uh, these, these mixed shows behind the paywall. And I, I always love to say, you know, you can feel free to cancel a Hulu or a Peacock or a whatever plus and yeah. do this instead. Yeah. It's a streaming service that you can watch with
0: a, a clear conscience. Right. In the <laughs> yes. time of the strike. <laughs> Uh,
1: Brett Berg, thank you. Oh, uh, it was an absolute pleasure.
0: Homophilia is a World of Wonder podcast produced and engineered by Renee Colbert. Our theme song is by Ben Wise. We want to thank Michael Pressman and everybody at World of Wonder. Please follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at homophiliapod. And if you would, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We sure would appreciate it.